Hello and welcome to Bread and Thread, a podcast about food and domestic history. I'm Liz. And I'm Hazel. We are two friends who studied archaeology together and love history, uh, domestic history, and making things, and also foods. So we normally like to talk a little bit about that before we get onto our main topic for the podcast. So what have you been up to recently? I've been getting very into crocheting ear flap hats. Okay, I've seen one of these, but you've done another one, right? Yeah, so I made one for me that looks like an owl, because owls are amazing and I love them. Wow. Um, And then I made one for Pencil of the Probably Bad podcast that looks like a cat. Oh. And I'm making a lizard one for Nick and a generally brightly coloured one for my sister, who is also one of our patrons. So, hi, Emma. It's fantastic. Cats for all. (laughs) And all for hats. Yeah. (laughs) How long do they take you? Because you seem to whip them up quite quickly. Um, each one takes me about a day, but I don't know in terms of actual hours. Okay. Because it's more just sort of doing it while watching and listening to things. Mm-hmm. That is neat. I love the owl hat. The owl hat is the best hat I've ever owned. <laughs> so it should be. So what? what about you? Um... I have started a quilt. Oh. <laughs> I began the year like, okay, no new projects, get some finished. Um, but I've been wanting to make like a really fancy patchwork quilt for a while. And so I figured now is the time. I was in town yesterday and one of the charity shops has like a big box of donated fabric scraps and like bits of old clothes and things that are like 25p each. So I got a whole bunch of fabric and now I am patchworking and it's a lot of fun. Um, I'm making, um, I'll send you a link to what it's meant to look like. I'll put this on the Twitter as well. Um, it's like a reproduction of... A, I will! <laughs> I will. I was doing so well, and then like the scheduling changed a little bit, and then I was like, "Oh." <laughs> <laughs> <That is very laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, it's a it's a quilt from the eighteen nineties in America, um, and it was probably a little bit ambitious for my first try. Um, <laughs> I saw a picture of this, and then I went to find like the original quilt, um, and then I thought. Yeah, it'll be fine. I'll just like do some maths and try and figure it out. Um, I could have bought a pattern. There are several patterns for this, which I'll link to. But no, I had to do it the hard way. And I got like, the compasses out and <laughs> started drawing things. And I think I figured it out. Um, but to anyone who doesn't want to spend like three hours on that, I would recommend just getting the pattern. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it's been fun. I went hardcore DIY on this. Um, <laughs> It's just, it's the little gremlin that lives in your brain and says, you could do that. Exactly. <laughs> I could, but at what cost? Several <laughs> <laughs> times more than it would cost to buy the object. Exactly. <laughs> but yeah, that's really fun. Uh, it's, yeah, it's a bit of an undertaking. There's like apparently about 300 pieces in each block. Um, wow. So that's going to be 
interesting, but we'll see. It'll probably be with me for a few years, so I will um, I will try and keep the Discord updated. Um, and uh, yeah, today the day of recording is twelfth night, so we will be out wassailing in a little bit. Um, which, if you have not heard of wassailing, it is a traditional custom. Um, in Britain, I don't know about it being in other places, but it might well be. Um, where you go and like bless the apple trees on on Twelfth Night. I mean, the the custom that I know of is on Twelfth Night, but I think other areas might do it at different times. I'm not sure. Um, like some at Christmas as well. But anyway, we do it on Twelfth Night, and um, you go and like recite like a blessing for the apple trees to ensure their fruitfulness in the coming year. And some places sort of wassail that the animals as well, like on farms. I think that's um, a disconcerting experience for a sheep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you recite a little blessing, and you sing a song, and you pour some cider on on the tree roots, and you drink some cider yourselves. Obviously, that's the whole point. I have a glass of cider right now. I thought it would be, you know, seasonal. <laughs> for for our American followers, that is hard cider, not apple juice. Oh, yes. Yes. All cider in the UK is alcoholic and quite, quite adamantly so. <laughs> that is the best description that I've ever heard. Unless you're drinking Strongbow. Uh, anyway. Yeah, that is that's what I'll be doing later on. What are we going to talk about today? I thought, you know, I've been putting it off for a while, but um, Kellogg's has been in the news because of strikes and things. It has indeed. So I thought I would talk about Mr. Kellogg and, and oh, the other yes. Mr. Kellogg, because it turns out they were brothers. I've been waiting for this for a while. <laughs> I am excited to learn more about the interesting history of the Kellogg brand. Um, okay, so the Kellogg brothers were two of 11 children born to Mr. and Mrs. Kellogg. Osh. That's quite a family. Yeah. Um, in Tyrone, Michigan, they worked in their father's broom factory. Right. But as a part of their sort of religious ideas, they were Seventh Day Adventists. Okay, I'm um, not entirely sure what that involves. It's so it's it's a branch of Christianity, unsurprisingly mm -hmm. from from just history. Um, mm -hmm. I believe in things like the imminence of the second coming is a big one. Okay. Um, they had an an event in eighteen forty four where they were convinced that the second coming was happening. That was known as um, the Millerite Great Disappointment. Oh no. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it's a didn't, shame. didn't happen. Hmm. That's disappointing. So yeah, so John, who was um, 
the older of these two main brothers. Like there, there were other siblings, but we're mostly just talking about um, John and Will. The relevant Kellogg's. The relevant Kellogg's. Um, so John actually did go to medical school and became a doctor. Okay. And eventually took over running um, a health resort in Michigan known as the Western Health Reform Institute. Okay. Very institutional sounding. When about was this, by the way? Um, he became superintendent of it in 1876. Right. Um, and Will Kellogg actually became a bookkeeper there. So health resorts were quite a big thing at this time. Like You probably heard of people going places like Bath to take the waters. Yeah, definitely. That's like um, a central theme of every Jane Austen novel. <laughs> oh, yeah. So the idea in the US was a lot more for going places for the air. Okay. Um, so you'd have a lot of these places in mountains or in drier areas where you'd, you'd go and get the air for your health and there'd be... Enemas were a really big thing for some reason. Okay. And very, what would now be referred to as sort of clean diets. Lots of lots of vegetables and nuts and little to no animal products. Because mm-hmm. um, there was this general idea that, which kind of comes from the older stuff of miasmas and that, that illnesses were to some extent caused by impurities. Okay. So you'd have these vegetarian diets, enemas, fresh air, um, just being in sunlight. Well, that one came back. <laughs> As a, a general way of sort of cleansing your body and in- mm-hmm. increasing your wellness which is a, f- a word that john kellogg actually used himself really okay yeah wellness really? is an old concept <laughs> i guess like apart from the enemas all those things sound relatively sensible yeah yeah kellogg himself believed that um a lot of disease was caused by um gut bacteria okay and that you had to balance your gut bacteria to be healthy, hence the enemas. <laughs> okay. Um, but a big goal of the Seventh-day Adventists, or a big sort of um, mantra for them, I guess, was the reduction of um, self-pleasure, shall we say, in order to keep the clean tag. I see. <laughs> Which was incredibly unhealthy. Is it now? It, it's it's bad for you and it causes all manner of maladies. Ah, uh, I see. Um, so, yeah, um, this resort, which was like, he renamed uh, Battle Creek Sanitarium to emphasise the sort of sanitary, healthy nature of it. And and the big a big thing there, as well as all these different therapies, 
was uh, the use of dietetics or the idea that changing your diet can change your health which is where it becomes relevant to our area because one of the things that he actually created was um, granola Like the concept of granola. The concept of granola. Okay. Um, so in the late 1870s, basically, if you were rich, you'd probably have egg, bacon, that sort of stuff for breakfast. And if you were poor, you'd have basically gruel, like a thin porridge. Mm -hmm. And he was he basically looked at that and went, you know what's great about these breakfasts? is the one that tastes like nothing. It's got to be super good for you. Oh. Because bland food stops you getting so overexcited and doing things you shouldn't be doing. Right. Just going to say, that's never stopped me. I, I feel the need to point out at this point that one of the big names in creating this concept of a connection between bland foods and health um was ellen g white that name doesn't ring a bell for me she was a seventh-day adventist okay known for her religious visions so clearly a, a big believer in the scientific method there mm-hmm Like she was, her her ideas were very much um, divinely inspired rather than based on science. Uh huh. But she she, you know, she did have some good ideas. Like smoking is bad. Eating a balanced diet is good, even if her idea of a balanced diet wasn't necessarily what we would call a balanced diet. Like she was, she wasn't entirely on the wrong track. I mean, yeah, like, I guess none of this is, like, entirely baseless. Like, diet does affect health um, in, in certain ways. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting them not being entirely wrong. Mm hmm <laughs> But yeah, so he, want, he wanted to create kind of a soft, easy-to-eat, but still relatively bland breakfast food. Okay. Um... So he, he made a bread out of wheat, oats, and corn and called it uh, granula, which was already a brand of breakfast cereal. So then in 1881, he changed the name to granola. Right. I, he literally invented the, the word granola. Oh, that, no way. I didn't. I don't know where I thought the word came from, but I didn't realise it was originally a brand. Yeah, it's one of those things that's kind of become just a generic thing. Yeah. Um, so yeah, he he did set up a food company to develop and market healthy food products in 1890, which uh, Will Kellogg was involved in as well. And... Were they healthy? I mean, probably healthier than eating eggs and bacon every day. 
I guess so. Probably more nutrients than, you know, a, a relatively thin porridge made of just whatever grains you can get hold of that day. Mm hmm. Um, but obviously the most well-known product of the Kellogg's is cornflakes. Of course. Um, so apparently there's kind of a debate about which Kellogg actually invented cornflakes. Uh, whether it was John, Will, or John's wife, Ella. Okay. I was going to say, I think Ella Kellogg is a very just orally pleasing name. It 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 feels good to say. <laughs> um, so yeah, there's suggestions that either... Ella had the idea of rolling it out, or John was inspired in a dream to roll it out. I think I lean more towards the former. The the idea that Kellogg's, uh, that um, cornflakes came from a dream is, I'm going to say, I think they should lead with that on their branding. Like, I mean, you might as well at just, this point. <laughs> divinely inspired cornflakes um but yeah so the the granola dough through you know whoever decided to do it was rolled out and it broke into these little flakes which could which were then baked mm -hmm. and uh will kellogg Apparently, then figured out how to do it in a reliable way that would create, you know, a, a mass producible product. Okay. But there is there is some industrial espionage. Oh, complex spies. Not quite I guess they'd be granola spies. Um, so apparently anyone could visit the sanitarium and observe the process of making cornflakes. Okay. Which seems like an oversight in terms of like IP security, but I guess I mean... that wasn't really a concept as much. <laughs> yeah. By the fact that industrial espionage had been a thing since at least the beginning of the Industrial Revolution and probably earlier. I mean, I'd guess as long as people were making money from having good ideas. Yeah. Um, but yeah, um, CW Post apparently stole the idea after visiting and set up what later became General Foods. <gasps> which Shocking. upset will kellogg so much that he left the company oh what left his own company 
apparently. He didn't do anything to the other guy. He just left his own company. He became an Arabian horse breeder. I was not expecting that. But good for him. Also a philanthropist, because he made a lot of money by that point. But <laughs> yeah. In 1825, he became an Arabian horse breeder. I mean, yeah, I guess if you've made enough money, you can just be like, all right, I've had enough of this. I'm going to go buy some horses. I mean, you, you might as well at that point. Um... But interestingly, also during the Great Depression, Kellogg's were very conscious of providing employment and made sure that everyone in Battle Creek who wanted a shift could get one so they could, you know, work and feed their families. Intent modern day Kellogg's. Yeah, that was good of them, wasn't it? <laughs> Almost like that's how the business should be. Clearly, we need to bring back the Battle Creek Toasted Cornflake Company instead of Kellogg's, because <laughs> that's what it was called. We need to reset Kellogg's to factory settings. Does Get it? Because it's a factory. Press the big red button. <laughs> the big red button that is installed in the Kellogg's factory that transports you back to 1881. <laughs> I mean, I, I would press it at this point. We could just try again. That's true. I would also press it. And then we could like take technologies with us from the modern times and become millionaires. Um, but yeah, oh, apparently John Kellogg also regularly corresponded with um, George Washington Carver about peanuts and sweet potatoes. Okay. We did cover George Washington Carver on an earlier episode and his peanut innovations. Yes. Um, but yeah, apparently Kellogg was a big fan of nut butter. Um, and it was served in Battle Creek Sanitarium as an alternative to butter rather than as a as a source of protein. It was just put that on your bread instead. Which I find interesting. Because, like... I, yeah, it's not a butter substitute. Yeah, like, the name does suggest that it would be. So I guess it makes a kind of sense that at some point someone did that. But also, I, I think beyond you can spread it on stuff, there is nothing... But, like, there is no comparison between peanut butter and butter. <laughs> I think, well, does butter refer to, like, the process of turning the the fats into, like, a bread? Is is that what makes it a butter? Because, you know, you can get, like, body butter as well, and I don't I'm know. I'm going to find out, because I was yeah. assumed it was just a com comparison in texture. I think it might be, because I've made, um, like, fruit butters before which is kind of similar to a curd i think but oh yeah i've heard of apple butter yeah um so i think it might be something to do with that but with like the consistency of the thing but 
Like, either way, it's still not... It doesn't do the same things as butter butter. Yeah, it it looks like butter has meant butter since at least Old English. Okay. So I think it is more of a textual comparison. Mm-hmm. But yeah, apparently peanuts as a health food were a thing for a while. There was um, a product called Cheese Nut. Oh, I don't like that. Which was a peanut and cheese snack. It was all like, oh, it's, it's all high protein and great. Hmm. Um, but yeah, Kellogg apparently did apply for two different patents relating to nut butters, um, sort of the different ways of producing it. And he also introduced a substance called nuttose, okay. which is a, a peanut-based mutton substitute. Um, I, yeah, I guess. Would that count as a nut roast? I guess it would. <laughs> I mean, I get how that's a substitute for mutton in terms of, like, its protein, but do, can you get peanuts to taste like mutton? Apparently there was marinating involved. Ooh. Do you like a bit of marinating? So yeah, um, you, you can probably tell from this he was a big fan of the the idea of living healthily being a good thing for your body and also your soul because he was a very dedicated member of the Seventh-day Adventists. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and sort of his ideas about um, Gut bacteria came from being an early advocate of germ theory, which is pretty cool. All right. And he was anti-smoking and all that stuff. Um, he was, however, because there's always a however, um, a founder of the Race Betterment Foundation. Oh dear. I was I was actually just about to be like so like I guess maybe he like overall not so bad, um, and then you said that yeah no he was also yeah a prominent eugenicist oh no in in the racist and ableist ways oh dear and helped enact laws to sterilize people who weren't deemed to be fit to breed. Uh We start stuff so well, John. Uh, you could have just spent it all on horses, but no. You had to do bad. Yeah, I, I don't want to get too far into that because it's incredibly depressing and also, you know, <laughs> we all know what that involves. 
Okay, well, I admit there is a lot more to cornflakes than I originally thought. Like, yeah. I'm going to say they're not my favourite cereal, but I do enjoy a cornflake tart. A cornflake tart? Yeah, you know a cornflake tart? I've never heard of such a thing. Yeah, we used to have it at school. It's when you, um, it's like pastry and then jam and then crushed cornflakes and on top. That does sound nice. It's delicious if you're eight. I've had, the the thing I used to occasionally have at school with cornflakes was, um, you know, like those little chocolate Rice Krispie cakes? Mm-hmm. Used to get those, but with cornflakes. Ah. And you'd go to like Greg's and places like that near Easter and they'd have them to look like little nests with mini eggs in. Oh, that's cute. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure the Kellogg's would have heartily disapproved. <laughs> oh yeah, I do find it quite ironic that it was originally created as this super health food and now you can get like sugar-frosted cornflakes and chocolate ones. <laughs> but you know what, based on what other beliefs he had, I'm glad that it goes against everything he believed in. <laughs> Do you want to stick it to Mr. Kellogg? Eat those sugary cornflakes. Preferably the knockoff ones. Oh, yeah. He, he didn't have any kids of his own, but did foster many, many children and adopted eight of those. Um, he and his wife were foster parents to 42 children. Wow. Interestingly, considering his views, including some black children. Okay. And yeah, they adopted eight of the the children that they fostered. This has been a very mixed bag. Yeah, he's he's an interesting man. So and yeah, he died in Battle Creek in 1943. Okay. So this was a bit of a short episode, but it's one that I've been kind of Waiting for the right time to do for a while, and I feel like laughing at the cornflakes man is a good antidote to last the last episode. Yes, <laughs> I, I think so. Yeah, definitely a, a lot more to that than I first thought. Like, did who did the Kellogg Empire get passed on to? Did it stay in the family, or like I assume it's now? just a free market company but yeah um it seems like it went to will kellogg and he's actually the one that was responsible for making sure people got shifts during the great depression yeah okay and then yeah, I mean it's it is still Kellogg's. It it was not acquired. Oh right. Um, they they bought other companies, but yeah, they they are still based in Battle Creek, Michigan. Oh okay, I was expecting that. I thought it for some reason I thought it was like a big. Uh, well, it is a big, you know, large it, it corporation, is but arguably the biggest. Cereal company, certainly one of the biggest food companies. 
yeah, I was quite surprised by um, when I was reading about all the strikes and stuff. It was listing some of the other brands they owned, and it's a lot. I think the thing is, most of the brands aren't ones that we in the UK come across. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I didn't recognise most of them. Like, the the main ones that I've heard of are ones that have just, like, popped up on American shows I've watched rather than ones I've actually eaten. But, you know, millennials are killing cereals, so who knows how long it'll last. I, I have heard this. <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, like, I've never really... It's not that I don't like cereal, it's just that most of the times, like, I don't drive, so I'd never want to carry a box of cereal home. I guess the thing is, it's, like, these days it's just kind of the default breakfast. Yeah. Like, honestly, in kind of a reversal, I th- I kind of see porridge as kind of the <laughs> a little bit of a treat, because it takes more effort. <laughs> Like, I'll, I'll do something like, you know, stand at the stove and stir my witch's brew of oats and milk. I guess, yeah, it does feel very wholesome on, on winter mornings as well. Mm. And porridge can be as gourmet as you make it, so. Exactly. Yeah. That and, like, the, the overnight oats trend. Oh yeah. I jumped wholeheartedly into I love an oat. I I tried that and I just I can't get yeah, I can't get in favour of cold oats. That is fair. It's just it's just not I, I have I have had some success microwaving it the next day. So it just ends up being like a lower effort porridge. Mm-hmm. But Microwaving I... to make porridge itself is <laughs> a risk because of microwaving milk. Oh, I I usually do microwave porridge like a maniac. You're you're braver than I am. <laughs> but I do I, I do tried it easy. once and the milk <laughs> did the thing that milk does when you get it too hot. <laughs> I haven't tried again. Uh, I don't really like you have to put it on for a little bit and then stir it and put it on again. But I fully see the benefits, like the the convenience benefits of doing overnight oats. So yeah, that is John Harvey Kellogg, to a lesser extent William Keith Kellogg, and cornflakes. That was a wild ride. <laughs> I I hope you enjoyed the episode. If you have a comment. You want to, you know, just just say hi. If you want to um, yell at Kellogg's on Twitter. Yes. Tweet us your favourite non-Kellogg's breakfast cereal at Bread and Thread on Twitter. <laughs> and we me- will... message it to us on Tumblr at Bread and Thread. <laughs> we will broadcast it to our many followers. <laughs> <laughs> um, you can also email breadandthreadpodcast at gmail.com if you want to secretly tell us your favourite cereal is actually a Kellogg's one. <gasps> we won't judge you. We won't tell. A little bit, anyway. <laughs> uh, you can find us on Tumblr at Bread and Thread and also on the YouTubes at uh, the same name. 
um, where there are uh, audio recordings of episodes. And uh, there will be other video content eventually. Mm-hmm. There's, there's a couple of things, I think. There, there, w- there is more to come. I'm, I'm going to try and do more video content this year. I think that is about it. Um, we also have a Patreon. Oh, yeah, we do. <laughs> we do have a Patreon. We do have a Patreon. <laughs> um, which is Bren Thread, if you want access to monthly recipes. And a fairly active at the moment, actually, Discord server where we talk about things we've been making and baking and just generally have a natter because it's kind of turned into a little knitting circle atmosphere, which I'm very much enjoying. Nice. So yeah, we'll be back next time. So I know I know they say we'll see you next time, but you know what? We will. <laughs> also support strikes. Yeah.